Good morning, everyone. My name is Linda Santavica on Pressing Beyond. I am very excited about today's podcast for several reasons, but one is I have with me an author who excels at his craft, Steve Drummond, author of his new book, The Watchdog, is also a journalist at NPR in Washington, where he has been a senior editor for more than two decades. He has been a reporter with newspapers in Florida and the Associated Press in Michigan, and has written for numerous publications, including St. Petersburg Times, the Detroit News, the New York Times, Education Week, and Teacher Magazine. He lives in Maryland, where he also teaches journalism at the University of Maryland. But even more exciting is our writing, publishing journeys are in sync in regards to timing and signing. Good morning, Steve. All right, Linda, happy to be here. Yeah, we're, oh. we're very much in sync. Yes. I mean, well, first, let's want our listeners to know how we met. I was at your book signing at the Penguin Bookshop for your new book, The Watchdog. My husband and I, we got the book. You signed it. I've had a chance to glance through it. I just, because it was just last week or so, I didn't really have a chance to read it yet, but I'm really Mm -hmm. thrilled because I did read initially David McCullough's book on Truman, but the watchdog is a slice out of his life that has not been documented and you captured it. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun and it was a lot of fun writing this part of the Truman story about how... In 1941, he proposed an investigating committee that would look in the defense buildup and the wartime spending. And he took that $15,000 appropriation the Senate gave him, and he turned it into the most powerful investigating arm that Congress had ever seen. And in the process, as you alluded to, this is what made him sort of a national figure and eventually vice president of the United States. And then when Franklin Roosevelt died in April 1945, to president. So it's kind of this weird thing that a lot of the books about Truman kind of skip over this phase. It's amazing. So obviously you knew about it. Is that the reason why you wanted to write it? Because nobody really captured that yet? I'm originally from just outside Detroit, Michigan. My grandparents worked in the war plants there during World War II. And nearby is a um, is a bomber plant called Willow Run, where giant B-24 bombers were made. By the end of the war, they could turn out a bomber a four-engine bomber every 63 minutes, which is one of those miraculous stories about winning the war. But I had never really known the whole story. And some years ago, I was asked to write a magazine article about Detroit's contributions to the war. And in the process, I ran across a reference of something called the Truman Committee coming to Detroit to investigate this bomber plant, which early on was really struggling. Not enough bombers were coming out of there. There are all kinds of problems. And that led me to the question, you know, what's the Truman Committee? I had read McCullough's book too. I didn't really remember this tiny bit of the story that he he talks about it, but he didn't really go into depth on it. So that led me kind of down an internet rabbit hole for several years of learning about the young staffers, young lawyers hired to work on this committee and go undercover in factories and shipyards and uh, military facilities all around the country. So anyway, it was like a slow process of... However, what prompted you to say, oh my goodness, I have a book here. Yeah. So at a certain point, I went on the website of the Truman Presidential Library in Independence, Missouri, and I started reading uh, some of the oral histories they had done. Basically, like a lot of presidents, they go back and find everybody who ever knew that person, Truman in this case, and they do an oral history interview. 
And on there, I found the oral histories of some of these young lawyers who had worked on this committee right out of college and saying, hey, here we were, we had this you know, inspiring leader who didn't care about our politics. He just wanted to help win the war. He wanted to, you know, when they found fraud or corruption in some factory, they wanted to get it fixed and get it fixed fast. And these young people told their stories decades later and talked about how inspiring and wonderful this was. And as a hobby, this sort of reading this as kind of a hobby, I was kind of like, wow, I think there might be a story here. And I started looking at books on Truman that didn't really deal with it. And I found out nobody had ever written this book before. So that's kind of wow. how it, it sort of grew very gradually. That's fascinating. I mean, that's like almost a grand slam for you. Yeah, totally. It was. It's And it's been a lot of fun. And, and you know, you as a first time author, you know, you don't really know, is somebody going to be interested in it? Will people like it or whatever? And so it's been kind of a journey to go from a kind of hobby research topic to all of a sudden having a publisher say, yeah, we need this book in a year uh, and having to turn it in. And that, you know, probably like you led to a lot of late nights and early mornings yeah. in front of a blank screen. What was the timing like from when you, when you initially, I mean, what came first pitching sure. this to a publisher or you started writing the manuscript? And so then you a little bit of both. A friend of mine at NPR about five years ago was setting out to write a book. And as you probably know, they, you know, you write a proposal about the book that mm -hmm. an agent can give to publishers. And she shared with me her proposal for her story. And I was reading it and I said, wow, you know, I think I could do this. I could probably put together this proposal. So I, I told my boss at the time, I said, I'm going to start taking a day off here and there and spending it at the National Archives, reading some old files. And meanwhile, I started to work on this proposal, the pitch. Um, and that turned into a thing about 80 pages. You know, it talks about oh, yeah. what similar books there are, a sample chapter or two. Pops, There's a little description yeah. of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and how you that, market it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was a two-year process. There was oh, yeah. You know, some agents didn't like it or they wanted revisions or whatever. And and that was a long process before I finally found an agent who, you know, found the publisher for the book, HarperCollins, and said, let's do this. And then, like I said, all of a sudden I had one year to turn in a finished book. So then the, the gears had to shift in. But you know what's interesting, though, and I the, the difference is you had an agent and you secured mm -hmm. a publisher before you started writing the manuscript. Yes. So that must have motivated you. Oh, very you know, much It's so. like, oh my goodness, there's somebody who really, they're willing to run with me. So you could just sit down and start typing away. I think there's a lot of writers out there. I've been one myself when you're just writing the manuscript, wondering if you're going to get a publisher, if somebody's going to be interested in it. So you, and I think yeah. in your situation, you have, you, you put a lot into this. However, I'm listening now and how encouraging that must have been to know that HarperCollins was interested. You had an agent. But you're right, though. Those proposals, it's like writing a whole nother book. And it was a two or three year process in which the proposal was rejected several times or was sent back. No, this isn't right and everything. So it was a little discouraging. And I was spending a lot of time again unpaid kind of like I said as a hobby uh both researching at the National Archives and rewriting this proposal and everything so it was a couple times I thought you know it probably wasn't going to happen and then it was very pleasing to actually you know have a a publisher who was willing to invest in it and then of course all this as we talked before was during the pandemic and that made it even worse so okay so when once HarperCollins gave you the green light 
What year was that around when you actually started yeah. writing manuscripts? This is in um, April of 2020. And uh, they gave me, uh, and they said, can you turn the book in in a year? So I had till, you know, April 2021. So this is right during the pandemic, which then, you know, all of a sudden the National Archives shut down and I was having trouble getting in there to do the research. More importantly, the Truman Presidential Library was completely shut down. So at one point I thought I might have to turn in the book without even going out there and seeing what's in the files out there, which was very scary. Finally, in April of 2021, no, sorry, 2022, excuse me, they finally called and they said, oh, we're opening back up. And I booked a flight the next week. The book was due in like six weeks. Oh, my goodness. So I went out there. I spent a week. Most of the stuff that was there, much of their, so much of their material is digitized. It helped. I was able to go through the files. I found some things that were useful, but mostly it reassured my fear that there wasn't some memo or note in one of those files that would blow my whole story up. Oh, right. Um, so you were, everything was in sync at this time. Yeah, everything was in pretty sync. And I, I got that research done and I was able to, you know, go ahead and finish the book, but it was, it was a scary time. Well, and then you, worrying like, yeah, go ahead. But like, if you said you only had so many weeks left once yeah. you were able to go out to the archives, how did you deal with, because you're working at the NPR and you're working full time. I was saying before, some of my colleagues at NPR can, you know, take a few months off or a workout you know, where they have unpaid leave or whatever, but my job doesn't allow me to do that. So this was mostly weekends and evenings. And then finally, right down the home stretch, I had to do the kind of the five in the morning thing of getting up early and getting a few hours of work on the book in before before the workday began. And that worked pretty well. And um, and I'm not complaining at all. It was a lot of fun writing the book. But yes, it was a very busy couple of a uh, couple of years and made even weirder by the whole pandemic part of it too. Oh, that must have been a challenge. Yeah. I mean, because you can't just go into anything and, you know, yeah. and at first during early on in the lockdown, you weren't allowed to touch anything. Yeah. So. Well, that just, just really shut everything down. And so I tried to do what I can Yeah. online, but there were certain things that, you know, you have to actually go, you know, the National Archives has tens of thousands of oh. documents on the Truman Committee and I pretty much had to not read every single document, but I had to know, look through them all, know what's there and know what was important or not. So you, now this is a, you know, because the podcast is about, you know, the challenges we press beyond to reach sure. our goal. Obviously yours was, I mean, you had a lot of things. It was wonderful that you decided on doing this topic on the Truman Committee. You had a great publisher and agent mm -hmm. and everything, but all the work was on you. Yeah. And trying to squeeze it in between your day between job, work, you know, yeah. you know how this, it, it was, yeah, it was an interesting challenge having done it. I, you know, I'm not sure I'm super ready to turn around and do it again, but who knows? Oh, uh, I think you have, you have <laughs> it in you because you are by nature a great writer. Now, let uh, me ask you, you um, I know one thing you talked about and, and you didn't elaborate too much because of the timing, but what was some of the um, artifacts that you found on Truman, the notes oh, and sure. like that? Yeah, many times you're sitting there in the National Archives and here are these files full of memos and documents. No one has really touched them in 70 years or so. Wow. And you're going through them. And every now and then, here's a handwritten pencil note, you know, on pink stationery. You know, hey, check this out. There's something wrong here. HST, which is Harry S. Truman. This was a future wow. president of the United States in his time in the Senate, just, you know, going about his workday. Or you would find the 
pay stubs or who got a raise on the committee that year. Or, wow. you know, here there was a funny memo from Senator Truman saying, hey, to the staff of the committee saying, hey, you've checked out too many books from the National, uh, from the Library of Congress. They're starting to yell at me. Turn all those books back in. Like kind of just the funny details of how life in Washington, D.C. in the 1940s in the middle of the war uh, worked. It was really enjoyable to see these, you know, kind of individual personal documents that you know, and really because, fun. And also, too, you had a yeah, the inside peak of of an administration. Yeah. Uh, prior to him becoming president, everything like that. I think that's amazing. So with all your research and writing on Truman, you must have such a heart for him. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, uh, you know he him. He ends up being a very likable guy, and that's a really a help when you're writing a book about someone. But he was the last U.S. president who did not go to college. He was not a wealthy man, unlike most of his colleagues in the Senate. And so oftentimes, when Truman needed to be back in Missouri, he didn't get on a plane or a train. He would get in his car and drive there. And then, you know, and he would write to his wife, Bess, these awesome letters about the chicken sandwich he ate at some roadside stop in Illinois or uh, how the, uh, you know, what the hotel was like or how the car broke down. It cost him three dollars to get the brakes fixed. All these details that really make a fun story. And he told that Truman was a funny guy. And he would kind of, you know, comment along the way about, you know, the sort of life in the 1940s. So it was fascinating. He was trying to be a husband. He was trying to be a good husband and a good father while he was doing all this stuff. And it was causing tensions in the family. And so I was able to write about that. So yeah, he he's a likable guy. And, uh, and it was really, really fun to, you know, feel like I got to know him a little bit. Oh, that's awesome. From his story, The Watchdog, from the Truman Committee, what was the one thing that you learned that your readers don't know about yet until they read the book? I mean, is there something that was was monumental in his, yeah. in his time during that committee? We think of the World War II years as everybody pulling together and coming together from patriotism and everything. And of course, that my grandparents worked in the war plants. That's what people are doing. But what we kind of forget is... There was a lot of money involved. This was probably yeah. the biggest defense spending program in history. And so, you know, the Truman Committee started getting letters from a guy who worked at a steel plant in Pittsburgh hey, saying, hey, they're shipping bad steel out of this factory every day. And they're putting it into ships that might sail out into the ocean with, with the sons or daughters of American people out there. So this was kind of an unknown part of the story that, yes, this was a patriotic time. But, yes, there was corruption mismanagement, abuse. And so the Truman Committee kind of went deep into that. This was a part of the wartime experience that I had not, I was completely unfamiliar with. And it was kind of fun to learn about it. All right. So what I want to know is the book itself, it was released last year, May? May yes, correct. 23. 23, yep. There's, there's a success story to this because I know mm -hmm. you're still like signing books and everything. So when it was released, what was uh, the experience like? Sure. I, I keep saying to people, and again, as a first time author, maybe people who write a lot of books get used to this. But for me, the day I turned the book in and I was done with it or mostly done with it was everything since then has been fun. Yeah. They asked me, you know, I spent a week in the studio recording the audio book, you know, reading it into a microphone. That was I've never done that before. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I went out to the Truman Library to give a talk there to people. And you know, it was oh. a couple hundred people there. And I sat in the Truman Presidential Library and 
sign copies of the books for folks. And uh, um, next month, I'm going up to West Point to talk to the cadets up there oh um, about this story. So all of this stuff has been a lot, a lot of fun. I went to my hometown, Detroit, to the book festival there, and there's thousands of people in an open air uh, book festival. And I met a lot of interesting people. And you just sit there and talk to people. And they're really nice. They're curious. You know, if they are interested in history, they're happy to talk about the story. So it's been, and, and about once a week, somebody finds me on my website and they send me a letter saying, Hey, I like the book or, you know, yes, Hey, thank I you. Love, I love that. I've, I've got really yeah. fun. Yeah. It's very nice. It's very enjoyable. Your audience, who are yeah. the majority, the demographic that reads the watchdog? Well, historians. I think, yeah. Historians, but I think it came out in May and Father's Day was a month later. And I think it was a very popular book for Father's Day because people, as you expect, people, their their dad likes to read history or whatever. And that's, you know, anyway, that's been a lot. But I, I have heard from several people who were retired from the U.S. government and they uh, said, oh, I, I did this kind of stuff. Or one one person from California wrote to me, said, I used to work for the General Accountability Office. And, you know, I'm wondering, does, you know, does the stuff they did during the war extended to this time so there have been a pleasant nice. surprise of people from all walks of life who've written to me about the book and it's been yeah i've enjoyed it all right now steve i want to know what you're doing next and don't tell me you don't know if you're going to do this again because you will um i have a couple of ideas i haven't really formulated anything but this this question of congressional oversight and the role con like we think of congress as though they pass bills and they put a bill and it becomes a law but this other part of it, what the Truman Committee did or what the Watergate hearings did in the 70s mm -hmm. or even, the, you know, even in more recent times, the oversight role that Congress plays of saying, hey, what's going on here? I'm really intrigued right now. In the early 1950s, there was a committee that looked into organized crime and it was on TV and it became kind of this big a senator named Estes Kefauver uh led this organized crime committee so i've been kind of curious about that and poking around so i have a few ideas i haven't really figured out what the next book is or or whether i'm ready to get up at 5 a.m and start doing this again but uh, there's probably something out there given you're so good at what you do and oh, you are well, a writer you. i mean you're a reporter so this is just an it's just finding the time to do it yeah meanwhile the news keeps happening and it keeps me busy at work so but um, I'll, I'm hoping to do this again. Great. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you, when you are giving your senior editor at N NPR, is there a specific concentration that you cover? Or yeah, my field, my field is education. And so I edit our coverage of education. I was a teacher a long, long time ago, and I still teach at the University of Maryland, as you mentioned. So my field is education. And so we have a small team that uh, takes a look at how schools and colleges and preschools work in this country well you have a breadth of knowledge you can write about <laughs> just about anything well, seems, so it seems like it until you sit down at the computer right and how you did this during a time when you were working and we were all on lockdown i mean that in itself is a miracle yeah it's uh not something i'd want to do again in that context but it you know it got done we all rise, you, know. you know, and that was a really big challenge. But you know what? You persevered because you wanted mm -hmm. to see this. You wanted to get this across the finish yeah, line. Yeah, very much. And something I've thought about for a long time was could I ever write a book? So, you know, it, it did. turns out the answer is yes. Yes, you can. And you're going to do another one. <laughs> Let's you're going to do so. another one. I'm going to be on. So. I'm going to tell everybody right now. You have to get this wonderful book, The Watchdog, 
how the Truman Committee battled corruption and helped win World War II. And it's by an awesome author, Steve Drummond. So, Steve, thank you so much. Oh, Linda, it's been super fun. Thank you very much. Well, listen, I hope to run into you again at another book signing. However, maybe right. it'll be mine. <laughs> no, I hope so, too. Um, yeah. It looks like I might be at the Greater Pittsburgh Festival of Books in May. So I oh, might I'm run going. into you there. It's if you're going to be there, I will definitely see you because I went last year and I had a blast. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm looking Running forward to, to you it. there. Everybody listening, get the watchdog <laughs> by Steve Drummond. Thanks, Linda. That was great. We will talk soon.